0: Welcome to the 25th episode of the Animal Riot Podcast, brought to you by Animal Riot Press, a literary press for books that matter. It's your producer Katie here, and this episode has been edited to reflect our new name. If you're new to the Animal Riot community, welcome, and you can find out more about us at animalriotpress.com. Now on to the episode, with your host Brian Birnbaum and today's guest, Kwame opoko duku today with Kwame Apokuduku, a poet and prose writer whose collection Unbound Verses is out with Glass Poetry Press and who's also just kicked off a new reading series called Dear Ocean, sponsored by Human Impacts, which invites readers to read work surrounding issues of climate change. And uh, I've just, I've made my own little submission (laughs) as we just discussed. But yeah, let's start, let's start off with uh, Unbound Verses. When it came out, how Like your process, everything, a to z.
1: Well, it's it's interesting because I think and like I'm not sure how it's like worked with you and your writing process. Like I know you have a book coming out, but for me, I didn't necessarily realize that it was going to be a book until maybe like a little bit more than half of it was done. And that's yeah.
0: Honestly, I feel like that's one of the best ways to go about it. You're not you're not saying this is the thing I need to do. And then like you find yourself just trying to finish something and it doesn't come completely from an organic, like passionate place. You know, all that shit can happen. But anyway. Yeah,
1: I had actually been writing. I was in a poetry workshop and I had been writing these series of poems called comportment. And it was like comportment number one through like eight. Every single poem was a comportment poem. And some of those.
0: Sorry for uh, illiterate dunces like me. When you said comportment, is that a is that a um, poetry, is that a poetry term? Well, or?
1: I think I just kind of like came across the term a lot because of like different like areas of like African American studies and like culture and like basically like just the way you carry yourself. Yeah, that's, I was literally uh, so um, so
0: it's not it's not something, you know, esoteric to poetry. The Yeah, lexicon. Just, it's just just sort of like it, the way you're literally talking about, you know, how how people carry themselves. Yeah, okay. just
1: the way that I mean, I guess specifically sort of like black bodies move through time mm-hmm. and space with these sort of like external pressures around them. And toward the end of it, I just like wanted to write a poem that wasn't that like wasn't a comportment poem. And so I started thinking about the Bible actually and Mm -hmm. certain aspects of the Bible that I was not like necessarily looking to reproduce, but I think I I was looking for a new voice, like looking for a new way to to I guess maybe talk about the same things. And so they were called the Old Head verses and sort of like there were two of them and they sort of ended up becoming like the whole, the spine of the of the chapbook.
0: Did they close it out or are the are the poems not kind of chronological according to how you went Um you well that? so
1: let's see like so I I like did them kind of their verses in the book there are I think 53 verses in total and the first ones I wrote were 45 through 53. And then the second one I wrote was one through 20. And so like first, I don't know how it ended up working out. Then I wrote like 21 through 25. And I, I just wrote them in weird orders mm-hmm. and that kind of work. And I think a lot of them are sort of, the context through which they're written, a lot of the times like sort of coincided with African-Americans being shot by the police. Mm-hmm. Um, and so,
0: uh, were they were they specifically shooting incidents or were they, or like, you know, the whole I can't breathe thing? Is it like...
1: Well, I think one was um, Alton Sterling and gosh, I can't even remember. They're just like, there's so many, but there was an incident yeah. in... Yeah, there's um, a,
0: there's some, there's almost like an, an anonymous quality at some yeah, point there in are in so Baton many. Rouge yeah. as
1: well. And yeah, it's just like through discussions that I was having with friends and things that I was meditating on. And for me, writing poetry is, like, it's a lot about just obsessions. Like, I'm just writing notes down constantly, thinking just about different rhythms, and then at some point, you know, you just boil it all down, and at Mm -hmm. some point there's um, a poem.
0: Yeah, yeah. Going back to just the idea of comportment, the comportment of black bodies, I think that's an incredibly fraught subject, just because, you know, another one of the double standards in America is that, like, there's no—there's almost, like— There's not the same kind of double take when it comes to like, oh, how is a a white person acting? How is an Asian person acting? You know? Right. It's like black America has such, so many shades of like person, you know what I mean? And I think there's expectations, not just from without, but within the black community of like, oh, if you act this way, then you're this kind of black person or something like that, you know?
1: Well, that, but I think even just like more than that, there's just been, there's, been an obsession like with this country with the black body yeah from just the time that you know, they first saw black people. Yeah, well, um, well,
0: yeah, because they were. Yeah, I mean, just the way that you know, yeah. black people have entered this country.
1: Right, know? and then so like control of black bodies and and how they move through time and space has been been a big thing with the country as well. So, mm-hmm. and so when you have these issues where black people are being shot by the police, you know, in their cars or like in situations where they're not doing anything that, you know, is like Deserving of being shot, but it's the it's the sense of fear and it's like this like fantastic quality of, of the black body and the white mind that is, that is like an external pressure. And so yeah, it's true. Like white people don't necessarily have to. I mean, I think that conscientious white people will think about the way their bodies move through time and space, Mm -hmm. like relation Mm -hmm. to like what's around them but they don't like necessarily have to Exactly. And yeah. there's um, no
0: immediate pressure to to say, well, oh, you know, I mean, shit. I'm, I'm thinking. Have you have you heard of Have you heard Daytona? Little uh, push a tease. Yeah. Latest? Yeah. I fucking loved it. Kanye uh, has this line about like driving black, and then he says like, "Well, MAGA hats let me slide through," you know? Yeah. And it's like, no, I don't. I, you know, being black is a, a very unique way. You know, that no other race or culture in this country I feel like has to think about that, except for you know, Muslim. Co- Culture definitely has its own issues t- yeah, today, I, but even it's not quite the same history. And so, you, so you're talking about in terms of comportment. It seems like there is a very there, there is a focus on the safety and and like you know just the not necessarily within black culture, but like you know just moving through space as as a black person. It, yeah. it sounds like a when you're focusing on the shootings and like that relationship.
1: Yeah, I mean, the the first poem in the collection. There's a line: Why do niggas in New York wear black? Maybe because we want to hide, to lose our bodies and keep them, to close our eyes and forget it all. And I like that's just, I think at some point you walk down the street, you know, there's some microaggression toward you. Mm-hmm. There's something that's happening. You're seeing something on the news. And at some point, like you just wish you could become invisible. Yeah. Uh, or you wish that, you know, there could just be some release of the idea that, you are being marked because of your skin mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and all the associations that come with that marking. Yeah. And it's impossible um, to turn off. It's you know? impossible. You can never turn it BF. off. There's this story in Friday black the collection, which I'm not sure if you've read, but I can't remember the name, but the character, he starts, he's a, he's a black character. And he starts by talking about how he can like literally tone down his blackness to adjust to different situations. So, like, being Uh on a phone call, he turns the blackness down to, And that's
0: what I was talking about. Yeah, it's, like, that way of carrying yourself. Because there's, even within, there's just, like, so much judgment, I feel like, you know. And I wouldn't know. Yeah. But just, you know, as someone who's tried to imagine, you know.
1: Right. Well, I mean, I think that there... I think that, yeah, you can can allow yourself to, to feel weighted down by expectations, whether you know sort of like expectations to act black or expectations Mm -hmm. to subvert that or to like quote unquote like rise above yep and so yeah like i think that every black person is like maybe not grappling with their blackness but but trying to understand it and i don't know like for me it's not an issue like I live in like a really cool place, you know. Like I live in a black neighborhood in New York City, Mm -hmm. right down the street from us. Yeah, so come see us on 147. (laughs) Yeah, so it's not like I mean I've like been in white neighborhoods before and just been walking around and just you know felt completely like all eyes on me. Yeah, and and it's not like that here. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) but you know I think with a lot of black poets you're going to be like reading about the way that our bodies move through time and space you're going to be reading about grief and loss mm-hmm. and yeah that's just how it is like there are certain people like ross gay like a lot of a lot of writers are you know hanif Abdurraqib, are trying to write about things that bring them joy and maybe exclusively mm-hmm. and i don't know if i'm there that there yet but i think that's something that i'm trying to work toward as well
0: yeah, you know what, and I really admire that, because it that's such a hard, that that's a juggling act. You don't, you know, you don't want people saying, like, oh, what are you denying, like, the, the experience we're going through? Like, and now you're just going to focus on this shit? But, like, at some point also, it's like, I understand the, the desire to want to feel the same things that other people in this country are feeling, or, like, you know, to just have this unadulterated feet like you know pursuing this joy, you know, it's not like I'm sweeping this under the rug But like I'm setting this down just for a moment, you know, yeah, and I, I think that's tough I think that's really tough.
1: Well, you know I think that in sort of the maybe like the black American canon aside from a few writers in the, and it's starting to change now I think that it was it was like very masculine in a way so I think that we were sort of raised with people like Richard Wright and Ralph Ellison, who you know are, are great writers, but it's always this sort of like me against the world character. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, where and that's
0: yeah, and that and that's a lot of like I think that's especially a lot of like what white people feel in this country is that like that's like sometimes I feel like it's even like drama porn where it's like white people in this country want to read about that from a black writer or something like that, you know? Yeah. Um, and subverting that even is like. <laughs> you know, that's that's rife in itself. Right. You know? And
1: well, so what I was going to say is that but the black female authors have always been the one to focus on the community. Yeah. And I think shifting that gaze is something that's been really useful to me. I mean, of course, like we all have our obsessions. We all have the things that we're going to write about and our experiences. And you can't escape them. Um, right. yeah. But I think that the sense of writing about community and building community and Maybe not necessarily making it always about my ego or experience, but but more about the greater experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that is a way to find joy, than more than just sort of the the me against the world character. Because yeah, I don't sure. know, you know, these these guys don't win, and I think that's a sort of it's a tragedy that that character will never win in literature yeah yeah um because
0: winning would involve rewriting history essentially
1: yeah you and in a way Even overcoming though, a structure that you know is is immense and mm-hmm. um yeah tied into the history of an entire like place mm-hmm. entire country entire culture yeah
0: so. yeah wow heavy already. <laughs> heavy <laughs> right shit out already. right out the gate yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, you read you read a couple of those poems and some new stuff at Angry Reading Series. I saw I saw you read there. I must've been a few months ago now. Yeah. But uh yeah, we've had we've had the lovely ladies from Angry Reading Series <laughs> on here a couple times. So they're great. Yeah, so let's talk about where you come from and yeah. how you got here. You know, you were you're from Massachusetts. So yeah.
1: So I well you know, since this we're this is the biography part we're gonna do the whole thing yeah yeah. so my dad is Ghanaian he moved to the states my mom is from Louisiana so they met in Baton Rouge and they got married and I was born down there and then I moved to Massachusetts when I was like maybe four or five and then stayed there pretty much um, until moving to San Francisco and then I was there for six years before moving to New York and now I've been in New York for six years and you went to
0: San Francisco. Was that a, was that for college after college?
1: No, I was. I I went there. I went there for a lot of reasons. I I had this like kind of. It was a very abstract like dream of getting out of Massachusetts, like in this dead industrial place. And we've
0: talked about that a lot on this podcast. Yeah, especially for artists, you know. It's like who feel disconnected if you're not anywhere but these like select handful of cities where it feels like it's the epicenter of everything that's going on, you know?
1: Yeah, and I I was so immature. Like I just thought like I thought if I just moved to California, I would become like a famous artist and just (laughs) dude. And and so I, I went out there with a friend, like we went out there to play music. And I was doing, like, graffiti and stuff. I was just, like, I was such a cliche. It was... Hey, um, you
0: know, if Instagram was alive back then, then maybe you would have been famous.
1: <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs>
0: maybe famous for the wrong reasons. I don't know. But, yes, yeah, so, uh, you know, we, we, we spent a little bit of time before the podcast. And we've had this discussion before. But just talking about the things you went through out there. And, um, you know, you, you were in a band. And I don't, yeah. I don't know. I don't is it fair to call it a drug band that's kind of something <laughs> something you associated with it but at the same time it was like it wasn't it was modeled after, ban- after bands that you you said you you admire you know it, it, there was yeah. there's an ethos or you know something going
1: on yeah well i think and to like be i guess sort of completely forthcoming like actually like i was doing i i was doing drugs when i was in massachusetts and and i was Were you trying to
0: escape that at at, at
1: at all? Or, no. Or or like, go to I thought it. <laughs> <laughs> I was just trying to escape, like the sense of like hopelessness I had. Like I yeah. was like living with a woman who's like, like we just like w- we weren't like right together. It was a weird situation. Like she was like married, and like that didn't work out. So you were living? Do you say you were living with her? Yeah. Oh, at, wow. like Yeah. Like it was. It was just like a whole situation. I wow. was so young, and I was such an idiot. And like at this time, I was like really just sort of like uh, up to no good. Like that was just like so but but also while kind of being this like punk that was up to no good like I still thought like that in my heart like I was an artist and Mm -hmm. I was like writing and it was all kind of like
0: definitely not mutually exclusive yeah or else or else I'd be fucked because I spent a lot of my life up to no good so yeah (laughs) well
1: I think that my my problem back then was that I thought that doing drugs would bring me closer to that, like, sense of being, like, a true artist because mm-hmm. of the, the suffering. Whole suffering that, project. Yeah. And yeah. so that's, like, a whole, like, you know, that's, like, I should have just, like, got a therapist, really, like, um, <laughs> but, yeah, so I just, like, went down a different route and... You know, like me and my friends, we thought we were like renegades. Yeah,
0: yeah. It was it was part of your identity, but we were jokers, really.
1: Like we. And were, this
0: is still this is still back in Ma- Massachusetts. This is Massachusetts you say you and, your
1: and like ending up in yeah, like we like moved to California within like a few months of each other. Yeah, yeah.
0: Do you think? uh Do you think if you didn't have art and like some greater purpose or whatever you want to call it, do you think you'd still be? like kind of drilling deeper into that drug hole. What do you think kept you from kind of going down it,
1: you know? Wow, I don't know. That's a really good question. Sometimes, like, I just think it might be luck. Like, and I think that maybe somewhere in my mind, like, I always had this idea that I could just, like, turn it all around. Like, just decide to, like, do this or decide to do that. And I, I started like being involved with the community out there a little bit more in terms of like the, the poetry community and also <laughs> you know I completely like I just like started dressing differently like I started like dressing up it was weird like I just like just decided to like become a different person and I don't mm-hmm. I don't like even dress like that anymore like that was like I, that was like the sellout version of me, but
0: so when you say decided to come to become a different person, what, where are you at this point? Like both, well, both, both, literally and kind of like spiritually. Like well, when, so I, what I, with? I,
1: I had a really good, I have a really good friend, but w- like we were roommates out there, and he like had some like really hard times. So I think, kind of like being a witness to that was it, like changed me, like it, it changed the way that like. I saw myself and, like, my responsibility to myself and, like, kind of seeing, like, like, really, like, I knew people who died growing up from, like, certain things or, like, whatever, like, but I think, like, watching someone who's, like, dying slowly Mm -hmm. can sort of, like, that can, like, really change you, and uh, I just had.
0: That's what they don't tell you about (laughs) drugs, is it, is it, like, you know, in dare class when you're in seventh grade, they're like, yeah, you take drugs, you'll die. You just kind of imagine yourself just like dying, (laughs) but like, it's not like that. It's a, it's kind of like a time clock where you wait to have a health problem or overdose or something like, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's it's a lot different than they teach you.
1: I mean, yeah, it's, it's like, you know, you pay a price. Like Mm -hmm. there's you, like no one takes that ride for free. So so, yeah, luckily (laughs) I don't be doing that shit no more. (laughs) And yeah, like, I mean it, Like, drugs hit hard in Massachusetts, like, really, really, really hard.
0: Yeah, it's one of the, yeah, especially, like, Western Massachusetts, the rural areas, stuff like that, um, you know?
1: Yeah, and, like, the sort of, like, Worcester area where I grew up. Like, I remember hearing for the first time, like, of, like... Kids robbing CVS's and stuff like that, and like Cape Cod, and getting oxycontin and shit, or just exactly. And it was it was OCs, it was crack, like it was like. like, And not not to say like I was like I never did crack, but like there were just like all these things happening, and you're just like watching everybody around you, and like you know it's like family, friends, like neighbors, like everyone is just like a zombie, and and so it was yeah. It was like I didn't necessarily think about it like that while I was sort of going through it because I think that there is like there's a way that it's almost normalized to you just because it's the sort of like culture that's around you. But now like I like I sort of look back on it and like I think about just like it was actually just like a really sad time and there was like a lot of pain and
0: you were just. You know, in historical terms, you probably just see in the beginning of it. In the beginning of what? Like, when, when you were in Massachusetts, I mean, I can only imagine things are worse at this point, you know? oh,
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I, I was, yeah, like, I didn't necessarily see, well, you know what it was when I started, like, idealizing California as, like, this thing that was, like, going to save me, so I think yeah. that was, like, that was, like, one thing, but then, like, we get to California and... Just like, of course, like start looking for trouble, uh-huh, um, uh-huh. and then it was, you know, it's like we're free and we can do whatever we want. And mm-hmm. then the next thing you know, like we're you're, you're just like really testing your limits, mm-hmm. um, and they're like, there like wasn't much probably that I wouldn't have like done or tried back then. Was there a TBH?
0: <laughs> was there a like so to speak, come to Jesus moment, or was it gradual?
1: Like I said, I think. Part of it was just seeing the way it was, like, affecting the people around me. Yeah. That was actually, I would say, like, really the big part of it.
0: What about yourself? How was it affecting you?
1: Well, it was... Like during all this like I was still like working and like I would mm-hmm. like what were you doing like, bartending? Yeah, and <laughs> Which like probably wasn't like the best job yeah. um, It definitely
0: enables some of those behaviors. Yeah, because you sure. like
1: always have cash and like yeah, yeah, and you're up late So yeah.
0: hanging around people that are probably doing the same shit. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, so yeah, it was um, but I, I guess like I don't know like I actually remember walking down the street with, cause it wasn't like, I mean, like of course I had my sort of like, the friends that um, I was out there like living crazy with, but I also had friends who didn't know what I was up to at all. Like I had girlfriends who like didn't know what I was up to at all. Mm-hmm. So um, so in a sense I was like living two lives. And there are people who like thought of me, I'm sure as just like a perfectly nice guy who was like <laughs> well read and well spoken and you know, just like, just an okay guy. And I remember I was walking down the street with one of my my good friends at the time who now lives in New York. And and I was like, you know, if I could do it all over again, I think like I would go to Columbia and just go for creative writing. And yeah, and just like try to do it right. Mm -hmm. And like maybe a year later, like I just was like, well, fuck it, I'll just apply. And I ended up getting in. And so it would. I mean, that was like a truly life changing moment. Like I cried. You know, it was a big, it was a big deal for me because felt I, like an exit ticket, kind of. Yeah, completely. Like I mean, like I wouldn't have. I was like happy at this point, but like still kind of like unfulfilled. I think as like a person. Yeah. And so yeah, like I wouldn't have thought like in a million years that I would be like moving to New York to go to Columbia. So it was yeah, it was like really surprising. I didn't apply to any other schools and yeah, I ended up just like having That's a really good time there. <laughs> um, and yeah, like things like kind of worked out a little bit.
0: Well, yeah, I guess if, uh, our listeners didn't, weren't completely buying into your talent yet, then one, <laughs> one for one. I mean, no, seriously. Uh, I mean kind of just stepping back, I can relate to an incredible amount of what you just said, just cause, uh, I didn't apply to one. I applied to seven, and I only got into one. But, uh, (laughs) but the uh, the same same thing. I mean, when I was a teenager, I don't know. I just not to get into it too much. I guess a lot of trouble, very troubled spirit, you know, all that stuff. And I went out to Seattle, and it actually was a big deal. It it helped a lot. It you know, kind of just having to be responsible for myself, you know, uh, because I went right after college. And but at the same time, by the end of my tenure in Seattle. I kind of saw the same thing happening. Like I, I, I had kind of run away from college just being like a lot of this stuff I'm doing is just not, I'm I'm the same person, you know? And then I went out there and though I grew up a lot, I also, after a certain amount of time without any like prospects that seemed to be concretely coming from my writing, you know, yeah. I had written a couple novels and like, you know, I'd started submitting, you know, blah, blah, blah. But, uh, finally my mom came, my parents came to visit. My mom was like, you should apply for an MFA. I was like, Oh, yeah, you know, I did the typical, uh, fuck you mom. What do you know? you know, not, 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 you know, but <laughs> oh, wow, that's pretty harsh. <laughs> no, no, that's, that's not exactly what, but you know, like that, that, that's, that was my, you know, I was still a kid. Yeah. I was still the kid who was like a oh, lot, you know, you don't know what's best for me or whatever. And then like a month later I was like, yeah, yeah, she's right. <laughs> and then I started applying and then, you know, I moved back here and, uh, I mean like, you know, I can't. I can't say that I've like ever escaped myself, you know, that's definitely not true, but I've, yeah, I don't know, call it luck, call it that, you know, whatever, you you, you went to San Francisco expecting a certain thing, and even though it wasn't the direct effect, you still, who knows if you would have been, you'd be sitting here if you never went, you know, and it's the same thing for when I went to Seattle, it's like I, I had to learn something, I guess, I'm not sure. Quite what it is but <laughs> yeah well
1: I think growing up is actually like a big part of it and you know like as men we're socialized like so poorly like w- like from a young age and we're you we're sort of taught like we value like all the wrong things yeah. Um like we want to be like cowboys and like mm-hmm. you know like heroes and stuff like that and I think at some point like what is it like um our cerebral cortex like forms at like a later age than it does for women like, so <laughs> yeah. when that finally happens like however many years later like we just sort of like start to get things a little bit better and i think yeah like at some point like i was just like oh shit like i think i've grown up a little bit like i think i've matured and yeah like i value started changing and i started like thinking about the future mm-hmm. like i never thought that i would I you know I'm like I'm not I would never live past 25 like that's crazy and then I like I never live wow. past 30 yeah but like now I'm like wow like I actually like now like kind of like need to sort of figure out the rest of my life like how you know like we're gonna like sort of incorporate this like literary community into like our livelihoods and and things yeah. like that yeah
0: Do you ever still hear the call? So, like some of that old stuff, like your old ways. No, voice, never. <laughs> <Yeah>. you, <laughs> no, you're, you're because like I wouldn't sufficiently even sufficiently disconnected from that.
1: No, I'm like now. Like the things that I value in life are like eating. Like maybe, and like sometimes, like like I sometimes like I ask my friends this stuff. Like, do you like ever feel like you sort of like let your like need for or like this like addiction thing that like we have like you know, like, uh, manifest itself, like, with food or, like, working out or something like that. And I think that, like, it does because you kind of, like, have to, like, you just, like, have to value different things. Like, mm-hmm. it's not, like, the drugs that you value, but it's that, like, it's that feeling that you get from drugs. Like, mm-hmm. whether it's, like, the escape or whether it is, like, confidence or something like that. And so, um, Like, yeah, you don't need the drug, but, like, maybe, like, somewhere, like, in your psyche, like, you need that, like, sense of, like, doing something that will, like, increase your confidence or... that you're going um, somewhere. Yeah, yeah, like... Like, the
0: drug makes you feel like you're going somewhere. Because, like, like, for example, if, like, you pick up your instrument and you're kind of like, eh, fuck. And then you take drugs and you're like, oh, yeah, like you said, I have confidence now. I have a direction. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, like, you can get that feeling from other stuff maybe it's not as efficient as drugs but but yeah i know what you mean it's like the compulsion needs to go somewhere and you know call it a compulsion whatever it is like that thing it like does need to go somewhere and writing does a lot of it but yeah i mean food same thing i have the same experience i mean with
1: with like Some of my friends, it's eating healthy. Some of my friends, it's traveling. You know, so, but it, like, becomes this, like, you know, this obsession in your life. And, yeah, I, I, like, I really enjoy seeing the ways that, like, people are dealing with that because you you have to, like, just change because, and for, like, people who, like, maybe were, like, drinkers and don't drink anymore, Mm -hmm. like, being a bartender, I, like, people will come in and drink for. Like five or six hours, like every single day. Yeah. And I would like sometimes think, like, gosh, like you could be writing a novel. Like, uh-huh. you could be, I mean, like, whatever, like, not to judge, like, people. Yeah, of course not. Right. You know, right. are like living their lives. Um, but if you, if like these, the people who are drinking five hours a day for five hours or for five days a week decide that they're not going to drink anymore, then they're just going to have a lot of time on their hands. So, they're going to have to figure out some other way of like getting by and like making themselves feel like happy and fulfilled. So, yeah, I mean, that's just I think that's just a part of um, like growing into like another person or like just growing into another way of living. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I can relate to a lot of that. And yeah, but I guess before we move on, uh, it's a good it's a good little launching pad because uh do you you know monica lewis yes i do yeah Yeah. she's she's coming uh next week i believe oh she's she's amazing yeah yeah, we're doing a whole um we're gonna do a whole episode on on substance use and uh mental health and stuff like that so yeah
1: yeah i mean that's I, i think it's like really brave for people to talk about that like i think for a lot of people like or for me there are still a lot of things that like i'm processing like I had like actually like a situation the other day where I like kind of thought that like someone close to me like might be back on drugs. And it was like, it was, you know, it was like, it was, like a big, it like really kind of like fucked with me. So I was like, yeah. geez, you know, like there are, there's, I'm still like processing a lot. Like, I think that like, I might even have like, like in a sense, like PTSD, yeah, like right? about a lot of the stuff that like mm-hmm. happens. So, you know, like I think, yeah, like you, you sort of like deal in process with, these things like as you can and then to like be able to use those experiences to like help others is like a really like cool that, thing to do.
0: Yeah you just hit the nail on the head because yeah. that's kind of a you know and I'm, I'm completely I have no problem with being completely open and honest but we were talking before we got on today about how it affects other people yeah and that's already cropped up a little bit in my life and I'm already I've had I've had conversations with Katie about like how I should approach this podcast coming up with Monica and just like if it were up to me, I would say everything. That's on my mind. Yeah. And you know what? I probably, to a large extent, will. But, you know, think thinking about how it affects other people, it just sucks because, you know, I'm trying talk about a double standard i'm trying to build a help build a world in which this stuff isn't taboo to talk about mm. because it's kind of counterintuitive when you want to figure out these problems but not talk about them and yeah. say it's just bad to be like that and that's the end of the story go figure it out by yourself right you know right i don't know yeah it, before before we do move on is there is there anything else you could you want to say about to, to that effect of like you know who I, like you know you, you you just talk about your friend who you think you thought might have gotten back on drugs or, yeah, you know, what, what else, how else does it affect you in the sense of like, what, what can you think about and not think about and say and not say, you know, that, that whole thing.
1: Well, I mean, I think maybe like if, if there is like a sense of resistance to like the autobiography, I think it's that a lot of people, I think as a writer of color, one thing that you're always fighting against against is like, the 100%, like, completely autobiographical read. Yeah. And so, like, I was watching the an interview with Ocean Vong on, I think it was, like, Seth Meyers or something, and, like, and he wrote this, you know, amazing book. I'm not sure if you you read it, but it's called On Earth, We're Briefly Gorgeous. No, I've never um, read it. And it, it just, Our like, just came are, out.
0: They are nodding their head because...
1: And it's a beautiful book, and it sort of is... About a child of displacement, and a lot of it like deals with the Vietnamese War and the migration that came about to the United States because of that. Mm-hmm. And then you know these experiences like moving through the world as Vietnamese people in Hartford, Connecticut, mm-hmm. and like not being able to speak the language, and like mm-hmm. um, his experiences like being like a like his with a queer body in mm-hmm. these spaces. And so there's like so much beautiful stuff in the book. And Seth Meyers is like, literally, so how much of the book is autobiographical? Mm. And I think like in that way that like white writers like don't necessarily have to like deal with that because I think that they're given the benefit of the doubt that like they're capable of creating a story that is separating like, fiction, yeah from like, fiction. Yeah, where yeah. I think with women and writers of color, like there's always the sense that like, it like is just like memoir. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think, do you that, think
0: it's also exaggerated when it comes to certain subjects? You know? Well, I, I I'm, cause like, I'm, I'm kind of thinking of uh James Baldwin right now and I'm thinking about I'm also thinking about how people would have reacted today if Giovanni's room came out and you're like, you didn't write that from a black character's perspective, but also just more in the sense of like what you were just saying, you know, it's, it's like, do you think people would have questioned that based on the subject matter? It's like, if it's negative subject matter or something like that, you know?
1: Right. I, I see what you mean. Yeah. Like he did, like, I believe say that he wrote it from a white character's point of view Specifically, so that he could separate the issue of queerness from the issue of blackness, and it's almost like he had to prioritize, you know. Interesting, yeah. And that was like, you know, that was a decision that he made. You know, it worked out the way that it did. Um, yeah. Like Baldwin is, you know, one of the one of the best. But yeah, like I I think that like there has to be like a certain like there has to be like a little bit of yourself that you like protect because. Like, there might be, like, certain things that come up in stories that are, like, actually, like, based on, like, my, autobi- my autobiography. And there might be things that are, that are like, actual, just complete fiction. Mm-hmm. There might be characters that are, like, you know, like, five or six different people, just, like, all-in-one characters, yep. uh, mm-hmm. composites. you know. And, yep. like, so I, like, I would rather not, like, invite the sort of, like, read where... People are
0: more concerned with what's true than, yeah, than and, what, and, what the and message so, like, is. if I
1: yeah. am ever to like write about drugs or like write about certain situations, like, I would, you know, like, I feel like I would, like, if I'm writing fiction, like, I want to like be able to have that space to turn truth into art mm. and without like feeling like I'm actually like exposing anyone or, or, yeah, like, just I don't know, I, I always think about what certain people might think of when they read uh, my work and yeah and these days like when i was like younger actually like a lot of the stories that i've published over the last couple of years like i like actually never thought that they would be published like there were stories from workshop and like you write them just because, you know, you like have to like turn in a story. Like you don't you're not like, Oh, I'm going to like send this to like Bomb or like mm-hmm. the Kenyan Review after
0: You know what? I actually don't think a lot of people think like that. And I think that's, you know, why you've probably seen a measure of success. Yeah.
1: Well I there's like one story. Not, you don't
0: you don't have those extraneous motivations, you know? It, which is funny, it's ironic because though <laughs> you know, kinda of the point is to fucking get published, right? But at the same time it's like if you're writing to get published, I mean it's palpable, you know. Yeah. If you're right if you're writing to finish something and feel fulfilled and to fulfill the hypothetical reader, I think then you're onto something, you know?
1: Yeah. There's this there's this like song that we would sing in the the Baptist church, like the, the lyrics were um seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added onto you. Hallelujah. And so like, I always kind of like think about that when I'm, when I start thinking about like an end game in terms of like where I'm going to publish something or like, you know, what I want the story or the poem or like something like that to accomplish. Mm-hmm. Because there's really, like, for me, the whole, you know, the whole reason that I'm doing this is because like I just like want to write and I want like a space where I can. He'd like just work through these these obsessions and like things mm-hmm. um, in my head. So yeah, I forgot where I was going with that. Actually, no, I mean that's a um,
0: that's a beautiful feeling because you're 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 onto something that's like it's self sustaining. It's not yeah. like you know, oh, now I'm done. I've done the thing I wanted to do. I got it published. What's next? It's like oh, there's that that question doesn't exist, and you know what the answer to that question is. Yeah, you're writing whatever the next thing that you're trying to write is. You know, you're working through your existential crises, you know, so to speak.
1: Right. And I think like being an emerging writer, there's always a sense too of like a a lot of the anxiety comes from like when you're unpublished, there's anxiety to publish and then um, you publish in like, you know, sort of like a neat, like little like independent journal. And then you want to like publish like in a place that is whatever (laughs) yeah (laughs) and so like yeah maybe you publish um in McSweeney's, and so like maybe at that point you have you're like okay now i've been validated to like a degree where i don't feel any pressure to to like achieve anything else and like i can just like focus on the writing and i think that is like i think before you get to that point you always like have to like remember that you're like you're writing just because you're a writer and you're an artist and you're trying to create and like all these things, you know, like if, if you're doing the work, like you'll be fine. Like you'll, it'll get published, you know, like you'll get the book deal, you'll get the agents. Like just, if you like just keep writing and working on your craft and like all of these things, like you, like you'll probably be fine mm-hmm. like, if you if as you, long like, as you're faithful to if you if you like yeah. really like wipe up that game and like stick to it like you know it'll bear fruit like i i mean that's just what i believe mm-hmm. i think everyone has a story to tell everyone has a way that only they can tell it storytelling runs in like all of our blood like we all tell stories we all have Rhetorical devices that we've like inherited from family members. We like we all have legends We all have myths we we, it's you know, like every like it's in all of us Like Mm -hmm. some people maybe tap into it a little bit more, but you know, I do believe anyone could write a book
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Yeah. and you know I'll, I'll say that I don't quite believe that If you put in the work, you'll definitely bear fruit, but you know the world's an unfair place but at the same time what we can both agree on is that if, you, if you're faithful to the craft and you're doing it for the right reasons, you're giving yourself a chance. Yeah. And if you don't, then you're not, so.
1: Yeah, and um, also, I mean, I think, like, I, when I was, like, really young, I would be like, I wanna, like, publish a novel before this age, and yeah. I wanna do this, and, like, Yukio Mishima published when he was 24, like, oh, shit, like, I'm, I'm uh-huh. 25 now. Like I, I
0: always, my bar was always eighty Smith. Which was ridiculous. I think she published White Teeth at, like, 21. (laughs) Like,
1: really? Like, that's ridiculous. So, I mean, you know, Zadie Smith is, like, in the literary world, she's, like, the 1%. But she's, like, even, like, higher than, like, that. Oh, yeah. She's 0.01%. Yeah. yeah, Like, but Toni Morrison published her first novel when she was, what, like, 37 or 38? Mm -hmm. And, you know, she's got a Nobel. Like, so when I think you're dealing with careers, like, if you really plan on having a long career it doesn't matter like if you're 26 or like 31 or like whatever like if your first mm-hmm. novel is a banger and you know people are into it like there's always going to like be a demand for you like and I would same thing with poetry like Ilya Kaminsky took like almost 15 years off before uh, between books and when he came back like everyone was like waiting on <laughs> bended knee. So Ilya
0: Kamensky's deaf? Oh
1: yeah, yeah. Actually the, the, the name of his book is Deaf Republic. It's not like because he's deaf. Deafness is used actually like as like a device in the book. It's like it's it's amazing actually. Like it's it's incredible and to hear him read is a truly like religious experience. That
0: too. uh, that name does kind of like sound familiar, but I, I haven't really heard much about him. But His uh, yeah, first it, book is called really, Dancing in Odessa. I'm yeah. not. I'm not sure if you from, you're familiar, but I have deaf parents, and uh, yeah, a lot of my characters um, are deaf, and you know, obviously, I write about deafness. Yeah, yeah, that's. I gotta get on that. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, definitely.
0: Uh, our producers are signing to me that they they were published with uh, Gray Wolf. Interesting. Yeah. Oh yeah. Very, very yeah. Cool. I mean, very he's cool.
1: yeah. He is like a. He's a rock star in this game. Wow. And so when
0: you say when he reads, does he read or does he sign and it uh, gets translated? He reads. But there are
1: actually like, there are, there's like signs in the book for like certain things. Like it's really like, I wouldn't, like I wouldn't be able to do it justice. Uh Um, But you know, I'll like, I'll give you my copy. Like, yeah, like it's, it's a banger.
0: Huh. My my producers are, uh, our producers are uh, (laughs) signing that, that she thinks he's hard of hearing, but We'll see. So basically, to classify that, my dad is hard of hearing. Yeah, which is like, so if you take his hearing aid out, he, you know, he's pr- he's pretty much, you know, deaf. But with a hearing aid in, he can. He even spoke to me on the phone a little bit when I was younger. So. Oh yeah. So yeah, that's fascinating. I gotta check him out for yeah. sure.
1: Ilya Kaminsky, yeah, is he's a he's amazing. Like he's yeah. like just such a cool person too. Um, you met him. Uh yeah, and like actually. He and Kava Akbar bumped into Charisma, my, like, collective mate, Uh um, at the Strand, and they bought her a book for her birthday. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, like, just, like, you know, they're just cool people.
0: Wow, Uh, very interesting. Very interesting. You learn something new every day. Yeah. Yeah, just real quick before we move on, uh, just to your point, you know, it's interesting that you talk about Seth Meyers asking whether it was autobiography, you know, which parts are true, blah, blah, blah. You know, because my novel has tons of drug use tr- alcoholism organized crime you know what you know the kitchen sink yeah but yeah the only thing the only thing that anyone's really asked me a lot about is the deafness like how much of that is true yeah which it's kind of obvious that like it's somewhat true just because like I, I like well I don't know I don't want to sound like I'm tooting my own horn, but like, I really do think that like to write some of the stuff I wrote, you have to be familiar with the, with the culture. Right. Yeah. But yeah, no one's ever said, <laughs> no one's ever been like, oh, so were you an alcoholic? Like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs>
1: yeah. I mean, and sometimes like I, like to me that felt like a violent question in yeah. a way. So, and I'm, I don't know, like, I'm just like, I think I'm just like very sensitive. <laughs> sure. Sure. Yeah.
0: No, it's understandable. So yeah, let's talk about Deer Ocean and how it got set up by Human Imp- Impacts and everything like that. Yeah. I, you know, I really love this well, idea.
1: So Yeah. I mean, this is, this is like so. Such an amazing thing to be a part of. Like, I am a resident. I'm an IMPACTS artist resident with Human IMPACTS Institute. So they give us like space to work. There's like we have a place out on Governor's Island. Um, Then there's the the space in the Brooklyn Public Library. I have 24-hour access there. And as a part of the contract, they want us to put on. um, Well, real quick.
0: So this was a. This this was a residency fellowship. It's a residency. It's a residency. Yeah, and and you said it was six months before we got on. Yeah, I was.
1: I well, so the amount of time that like we sort of like verbally agreed on was six months, but actually now I want to like like extend it because I'm just like I'm loving it so much. It's Mm -hmm. been it's just been such a blessing, and I've been thinking about starting a reading series for like. A while, like just you know, seeing the way that you guys did it, seeing the way like the Angry Reading Series started, and just thinking like I like really want to to like continue to build my community and Mm -hmm. to contribute in that way, and so I just thought it was like a great opportunity to start a reading series, and the Human Impacts Institute was like they were totally with it. They were like we can you we'll let you use the space. And so they got me a date, and yeah, they're like, they're totally, they're just bawling out. Like they have this like whole team of, of interns who are like these super talented, college kids who are, they're like so with it. They're um, and they're helping out so much too. It's like, it's yeah, just been great.
0: That's yeah, that's awesome. So Dear Ocean is a climate change based reading series. Yeah, is, is human um, is human impacts because uh, that sounds that sounds broader. Than you know, just climate change.
1: Yeah, well, it- so it's like work about climate change and the environment. I wanted to like, I wanted there to be a sort of local focus, and like, and I don't necessarily mean local to New York. Like, although of course, like, you know, that's I invite that as well. But mm-hmm. I'm more like local to your experience. So one of our readers, Ariel Francisco, is he's going to be writing or reading poems that. Are based off of his experiences with climate change in Florida, so like I really like that he's going to be coming from that experience. Someone from New Orleans would be like writing about the, you know, like what's happening there. Like someone who is from like the Pacific Islands will be like writing about like their experiences. So Mm -hmm. there, there's like a there, it's a broad issue, and I think it can somehow like sometimes feel abstract to people but i think one thing that i hope to accomplish from this reading series is giving people that sense of immediacy and urgency but without like necessarily trying to scare anyone or present a scenario where we're just like hopeless and so yeah like the work all the work that we've received so far has been like so good and everyone has like such a unique way of seeing the issue and and interacting with it so i'm just like very, very, very hyped to, to like see where we will go with this. Like I was so worried that we wouldn't even have enough readers to fill the first reading slot that, and and then like not only that, but like we already just like have, we have so many, we have so much good work that's been submitted. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. You were talking before we got on about <laughs> yeah, like refreshing the, first, the email. Every yeah. The second. first
1: couple of days that I had the dear Ocean email address open, um, I would like check it And like every 10 minutes and there were no emails. And Mm. then one day there's like three emails and it would just like come in and come in and all the submissions were just like, so, so, so good. And yeah, like, so I'm, I'm just like really excited to see how far we can go with this.
0: Yeah. No, I, uh, yeah. Really, really admire that too. Because yeah, climate change is, uh, I think one of those paradoxes where it's, at the top of everyone's mind and I'm at the bottom of everyone's mind, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I think that's one of the issues It feels too big for any single person to solve. And yet we need every single person, you know, to yeah. get involved.
1: I would love if you have any work, like we, the first reading is featuring mainly poets, but I like don't want to exclude any other genres from submitting, even though we might be like probably more poetry heavy. Mm-hmm. But if you'd like, send three to five poems or um, other uh, short pieces of work to nyc at com.
0: Perfect. You know, it's, yeah, I, uh, <laughs> when I, when I sent you something the other day, I think I wrote a uh dot Ocean, Cyn, or something. Oh, yeah. And it bounced back, but uh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, why don't we uh, why don't we do a reading? Okay. How does that um, sound?
1: Yeah, that's that's cool. I'm gonna read something new. I think if I. I think I have it in my head. Ooh, um,
0: wow! Straight off the dome. Let's go. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> um, well, so this is you did you did a few uh, at angry reading series.
1: Yeah, that, that um, off the, off I, I like to memorize poems because that's like actually how I edit. Like I will just like walk around and just repeat think it in my, my head. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and so it helps with like the flow and stuff. Cool. But so this is a poem that is like I think trying to write toward that place of joy, but also like the work that I've been doing is connected to like this sort of like other stuff too. Mm-hmm. So this poem ends or begins with the last words of the first poem of the unbound verses okay um awesome. yeah and it's called they'll ask you where it hurts the most mm. blessed be the bitterness at your core that quiet light growing quieter still like the dull moan that escapes your lips while you dream they'll ask you child what you know of suffering they'll ask you where it hurts the most When the pain changes like the colors of the sky and the voices of the ancestors cry out to you from the oceans when their words vibrate in your lungs like a listless queenless hive you may forever child feel a type of way but you must get up every morning and watch a sunrise over the ocean remember to love your lover remember the goodness and righteousness of deep red against her skin the color of the ocean on her toenails remember those ancestors who praise the gods at the sight of land one day child you will join them on a beach in a Will you pour out libations for those who have yet to come until then stand with your arms stretched toward the sky and though termites may eat you from within pray to become a wise old tree for the dignity to praise alone the sun and the rains pray to become a garden to distinguish that which nourishes us from that which keeps us alive
0: Beautiful. Before I close it off real quick, I didn't say this episode's brand of fuckery is brought to you by Insomnia. So fuck you, Insomnia. Okay, that's it for today's episode. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and review on whichever platform you're listening. You can get in touch with us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Animal Riot Press or through our website, AnimalRiotPress.com. This has been the 25th episode of the Animal Riot Podcast with your host, Brian Birnbaum, and featuring Kwame Opoko-Duku. Transcripts for our deaf and hard of hearing animals are provided by Jonathan Kay and we are produced by me, Katie Rainey. See you later, you filthy animals. Y'all ain't getting gully as the fern. I don't know much about Lee